continue on our worship this morning, let's go ahead and uh, prepare our hearts for the word in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful just to worship you this morning, uh, to come before you and say, Lord, we surrender. Uh, we lay everything at your feet, uh, including, Lord, our desire to get to know you more in your word. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, as we transition from our worship in song to our worship in the word, that you would prepare our hearts and minds for what you have for us, that we would get out of the way. What we know not, Lord, please teach us what we have not. Please give us and who we are not in Christ. We ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's a story about a DEA agent who uh, was visiting local farms and doing an investigation, making sure there were no illegal crops being grown. And he came to the first farm and he knocked on the door and the farmer answered. He was just beginning his chores for the day. And uh, he informed the farmer what he was there to do. And the farmer said, well, you're free to go wherever you want on my property. He said, but you see that field in the distance. I recommend that you don't go there. DA agent didn't like that. He pulled out his badge and pushed it in the face of the farmer and said, you see this badge here? This badge means that I have the authority to go where I want, when I want, however I want, no questions asked. Is that clear? Farmer nodded kindly and said, well, I'll go about my chores as you are free to go about your business. Well, the DA agent thought to himself, if there's a field I'm going to investigate, it's that one, right? And so he headed over there, and about five or ten minutes later, the farmer could have sworn he could hear screams coming from that field, and there was that agent screaming at the top of his lungs, running for his life as the farmer's prized bull was chasing after him. Well, the farmer dropped his tools, immediately ran to the fence, cupped his hands together, and yelled, you're badge. Show him your badge. <laughs> this morning, I want to take some time to talk with you about the subject of boasting. The subject of boasting as believers. As believers, we don't have some badge of authority that we wave around or we can boast in. But what we do have as believers is the cross of Jesus Christ. And what I want to do with you this morning is to convince you in our time together in light of God's word that you and I as believers have nothing to boast in except for the cross of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And I want to convince you of that in the letter of Galatians where I'd invite you in your Bibles. We find ourselves in chapter 6 and we'll be looking at verses 11 to 18 together. Uh, as you head there in your Bibles, what I'd like to talk about is we are convinced that we have nothing to boast in except for the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to give you three benefits that come with boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. As you head there in your Bibles, we're wrapping up the letter of Galatians this morning. Over the past months, we've had the blessed opportunity to walk through this incredible letter that is all about the good news of the gospel of God's amazing grace. In the first two chapters, Paul declared uh, or defended the gospel and defended his authority to preach it. In chapters 3 to 4, Paul declared the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 16, he said, we are justified by faith and not by the works of the law. And then in chapters 5, up to this point in chapter 6, where we're at this morning, Paul has been applying the gospel. He said, because of the freedom that we've been given... 
through the redemption of, of Christ's blood and what Christ has done for us on the cross, that freedom shouldn't lead to legalism, shouldn't lead to a license to sin where we walk in the desires of the flesh, but it should lead to love that is produced by the Holy Spirit. And now as Paul wraps up his letter, he focuses in on the most important aspect of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, as he writes to convince you and I that there's no reason to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so what are the benefits of boasting? Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word, Galatians chapter 6, we'll be reading in verses 11 to 18. Paul says this, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." But God forbid that I should boast in, boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we walk through the word this morning, we're going to take some time to talk about the benefits of boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. And my prayer is we walk through these benefits that you would walk away convinced that you have no reason to boast, that I have no reason to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. The first benefit to boasting in the cross is avoiding the wrong example. In verses 11 to 13, Paul lists uh, the, those whose example we are to avoid, those who boast in their flesh, in their own efforts, in their own works, instead of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to describe for us those who boast in the flesh in verses 12 to 13, those whose example we are to avoid. And I'll tell you this morning, if you boast in the cross of Christ, you will avoid the example of those who boast in the flesh. Those who boast in their works and their efforts as a means of salvation. Now, before Paul describes them in 12 to 13, he begins in verse 11 by noting with what large letters he's writing to his readers. Isn't that interesting to note that up to this point, Paul has been writing through what's called an amanuensis. That is simply a secretary. And so up to this point in the letter of Galatians, Paul has been telling the secretary to, to write what he's going to tell him to write. Isn't it amazing to consider for just a moment that the Bible, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures that we've been given are written through man, but are superintended by the Holy Spirit. That they are literally God-breathed. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, For all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's inspired by him. So even as Paul grabs the pen and writes with large letters what he's going to emphasize here, 
or as he is dictating to his a secretary to write the things that he wants them to write, the very words that are written down in their original autographs are inspired by God himself. And so the Holy Bible that we have is not just the word of man, it is the word of God. And so Paul notes with what large letters he writes to them. Why does he note that? Well, because he wants to emphasize this final message of the central message of the gospel, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he wants to declare and set the example that you and I have nothing to boast in except for the cross of Christ. Now, if you and I want to emphasize something in a letter we're writing or an email we're writing, we might underline some things. We might use bold lettering. Other times, we might use large font. For Paul, he writes with large letters. And what he's saying is, I want to authenticate what I'm writing to you. And also, I want you to listen carefully to the core message of the gospel, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so having introduced it and saying, and noting what, with what large letters he writes to them, he then describes for them those whose example they are to avoid. As they boast in the cross, this is the example they are to avoid, those who boast in the flesh. And first he describes them in verse 12 as those as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Who are those who desire to boast in the flesh? Those who, who, who have a desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh are those who are more concerned with the external than the internal. Those who desire to make a showing in the flesh are those who desire to, or are more concerned with religion and ritual than they are with a personal relationship with God that is grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Uh, those who desire to make a showing in the flesh are those who are more interested in obeying a list of do's and don'ts without a personal relationship with Jesus, trusting in him as their savior and their Lord. And when you have religion and ritual, but your heart is far from God, those are those who desire to make a showing in the flesh. Paul rebuked these kinds of people. I mean, Jesus rebuked these kinds of people. So did Paul. And we read about that through the Gospels. In Matthew 9, 10 to 13, Jesus spoke this way about the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as you know, were the religious elites of their day. They were the seminary professors of their day. If you wanted to find someone who knew the word of God and, and obeyed the word of God, crossing every T and dotting every I, it's the religious leaders, right? They know the word, they obey the word, and they tell us how to walk in accordance with the word. But while the Pharisees knew the law of God and knew the Old Testament law backwards and forwards, they didn't know God personally. How how is it possible to know the word of God but not know the God behind the word? Well, the Pharisees are a good example of that because when God came to them in human form through the person and work of Jesus Christ, they didn't confess their sins and repent of them. They had Jesus Christ crucified instead. And so Jesus tells these individuals who desire to make most, much of the flesh, to make a much of the showing of the flesh, Matthew 9 verse 10 says this, Now it happened as Jesus sat in, at a table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So Jesus hung out a lot with sinners and tax collectors. 
And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because it seems like he's affirming their lifestyle. And Jesus, when he heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The reason Jesus said he came is because he's the, the great physician. Jesus is the great physician who isn't just able to heal your physical health needs, but is able to heal a greater need, your spiritual health. And he says, I didn't come for the sick, I, or I didn't come for the well, excuse me, I came for those who are sick. And then in verse 13, Jesus said this, but go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, Jesus said, if you knew the law like you think you do, go back and read the prophet Hosea. There in chapter 6, verse 6, God declares to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel who had turned their backs on God and has begun to worship the gods of the surrounding nations, had begun to participate in the sexual immorality and idolatry associated with pagan worship. He turns to, he quotes this verse from Hosea and he says, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Why did he tell that to the people of God in the Old Testament? Well, because while they turned their backs on God and worshiped the gods of the surrounding nations, they continued to make sacrifices. They continued in their religion and they continued in their ritual. And God says, I desire mercy. The word hesed there, which means loyal love. I desire faithfulness and not sacrifices. I don't want your empty religion and ritual if you don't know me and you don't have a personal relationship with me. And Jesus concluded it by saying this, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus says there, I did not come, if I can put it in what he means here, I did not come to call those who think they are righteous but to those who know they are sinners. And the Pharisees had their external religion and ritual, but they did not know God because when God came in human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, they rejected him instead of confessing their sins, repenting of those sins, and trusting in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And so Paul describes for us those who desire to make much of their showing in their flesh. In other words, they're obsessed with the external... Um, works of the law and obeying a list of do's and don'ts without knowing God personally and having a personal relationship with him. And so first Paul describes them as those who desire to make a showing in the flesh. Secondly, Paul describes them as those who would compel you to be circumcised. Um, just to remind us, all throughout this letter of Galatians, we're reminded why Paul had to write it in the first place. Why he defended the gospel, why he declared the gospel, why he applied the gospel, why the letter of Galatians was written is because when Paul had first visited many of these, ch many of these churches that he himself had planted, since his arrival, false teachers had come in and they were teaching that faith in Jesus was important. And so this is how they deceived the people. They came to them and they said, listen, we're Christians just like you. We're Christians just like you and, and we believe faith in Jesus is important just like you. If someone came to your door or a family member or a friend and told, told you or a co-worker said, I'm a Christian like you and we be I believe faith in Jesus is important. Don't you believe that? Many of us would say, yeah, you sound like a Christian. But they said faith in Jesus was important, but faith in Jesus was not enough for salvation. 
To be genuinely saved as a Gentile, you first had to become a Jew. You first had to become circumcised and walk in obedience to the whole of the Mosaic law, especially observing certain diets and days. And they were adding to the finished work of Christ on the cross as a means of salvation. And they said, in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. Now, circumcision had its purpose in the Old Testament law and covenant. Circumcision was an external symbol that confirmed that you were a part of the covenant community of God. But what circumcision could not do, in that it was just a symbol, is it could not change the heart of the people. And the law is good in the sense that it reveals the righteousness of God. But what the law cannot do is while it points us to our inability to please God by obedience to the law, it cannot change our hearts. This is what the Bible says about circumcision. It says, well, our need for circumcision in the heart. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us this. This is why we cannot please God by obeying the law. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? I often say, if people tell you, follow your heart. Do what feels good. No, don't follow your heart. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it will deceive you into thinking you're better than you actually are. Thinking that you don't need Jesus and you can get to heaven on your own effort and your own work. Verse 10, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Romans 2, 28 to 29 says this, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Here's the problem with circumcision under the Old Testament law. It confirmed whether or not you were part of the community of God in terms of the covenant community of God under the Old, old Covenant, but it could not change your heart, which is the basic need that Jew and Gentile have alike. We don't just need circumcision of the flesh. We need circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the flesh means cutting away of the skin, Circumcision of the heart means cutting away of sin from our hearts and gives us a new heart and ability to please God by putting our faith and our trust in Christ alone who does a heart transformation from the inside out. What you and I need more than anything is not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. What we need is a new heart that will enable and empower us to please God and live righteously and honor and glorify him in all things. And so they were compelling them to be circumcised. This morning, some people might not compel you to be circumcised, but they may compel you as a means of salvation to do other things to observe the ordinances of the law, uh, uh, excuse me, the ordinances of the church as a means of salvation or membership as a means of salvation. They say you can't be saved unless you're baptized or unless you participate in the communion table or unless you become a member of the church. No, those are not means of salvation. That's the fruit of our salvation. And so this morning, if someone is to say to you, if you're going to truly be saved, first have to get baptized or you have to partake of communion regularly, what they are emphasizing is the symbol, the external symbol, rather than the internal change of the heart that is accomplished at the moment of salvation when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so he describes them as those who would compel others to be circumcised. Thirdly, he describes them as those who would desire to escape persecution. (laughs) So what's their ultimate motivation? Their ultimate motivation is that they would escape the persecution of the cross or the offense of the cross. You know, if you got circumcised in that day and age, um, there were two forms of persecution you might experience. Persecution from the Jews, persecution from the Romans. For the Jews, if you got circumcised and you walked in obedience to the law, there were many sects within the Jewish religion, and so they possibly could see the Christian sect as just another one as you get circumcised and walk in obedience to the law, and you might be delivered from any kind of persecution from some Jews. For the Romans, the Romans took a look at... um, religions that were established. New religions they weren't too fond of. And so they weren't as likely to persecute those who were part of established religions. So if you're a part of an established religion like Judaism, you're not going to be as persecuted. It didn't mean they weren't persecuted at all, but it means that you weren't as persecuted as you would be if you were part of a new religion. But what I want to emphasize here more than anything is that the cross of Jesus Christ that we are to boast in alone is offensive. And this morning, if you and I have not wrestled with the offense of the cross and why it's so offensive, especially to our egos, I don't know if we've truly understood the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, he didn't give us a message to say, hey, follow me in health, wealth, and happiness. It's going to be roses and sunshine every day. Leave everything behind and follow me, and it's going to, you're going to experience a wonderful, wonderful life. No hardships along the way. Now, in the life to come, it's going to be blessed. But Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew, verse, chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said, count the cost. If you're going to follow me, I'm not going to promise you no hardships. I'm going to tell you I'll be with you through all the hardships and I'll get you through whatever you face, but I want you to deny yourself your earthly comforts, your fleshly desires. Take up your cross. Be willing to go and be put to death for my sake and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Can I ask you this morning, have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Because as you count the cost, as you say, I'm going to deny myself, Dale, I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow after him, even if it means being persecuted, even if it means giving my life for the cause of Christ, boasting in the cross, if it should lead to my death, it's all worth it because those who kill the body cannot kill the soul. And it's worth it and I count the cost, the blessing of Trusting in Jesus is of much more value than the hardship that I might face temporarily in this 
world. What makes the cross offensive? Number one, when you take a look at the cross, what makes the cross offensive to our egos, our human egos, is the fact that the cross tells us that we are guilty sinners standing before a holy God deserving of eternal wrath and judgment. When you take a look at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, the reason I came and died on the cross was not because I deserved it, but because you deserved it, and this is the death that you deserve. And so the cross is offensive. When you come and tell me or tell others, listen, you're a dirty, rotten sinner deserving of hell and eternal judgment. People don't take too kindly to that at times. But it's the truth of the matter. And the cross is offensive to our human ego. But the cross doesn't just tell us we're dirty, rotten sinners deserving of eternal wrath and judgment. It doesn't just reveal the extent of our sin. It reveals the extent of his love. When you realize how undeserving we are, you realize how much God loves you and you know how much God loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That's the extent of his love for you and the extent of his love for me. And that's why we boast in the cross alone. So number one, it's offensive because it tells us that we are to look ourselves in the mirror and we're not deserving of heaven, we're deserving of hell. We're not deserving of, 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 of being with God and his people forever and ever. We're deserving to be separated, separated from him, but through faith in Jesus, we are adopted as sons and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Second thing that makes the cross offensive is because it says, um, in our weakness, we can do nothing to contribute to our own salvation. You know, there's something so offensive to the human ego to tell them or tell me or tell you, listen, you can't do anything in your human strength to contribute anything to your salvation. No human work, no human effort can add to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, but we are an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Some of us would say, well, I'm, if, if God were to ask me, why should I let you into my heaven? He'd say, well, to be honest, I think I'm a pretty good person. I go to church regularly. I'm not like some of these other sinners I hang around with all the time. I don't do some of the things that other people do. I'm no Hitler. I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't cheat most of the time. And so I'm not like those other people. So in my own goodness, there are some good things I do. I help the poor. I serve in my church. I help my neighbor here and there. And the Bible says all your Righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And that's offensive. Galatians 2.16 told us earlier, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith and in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It's offensive when you take a look at the cross and the cross says, I've done it all and you can't do anything to contribute to your own salvation. All you need to do is place your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And some can't accept that because they want to feel good about themselves that they are contributing something to their own salvation. Third reason the cross is offensive is because it says that the cross is the only way to heaven. People might follow you on those first two points. Yeah, no one's good. I, I get that. 
They might say, yeah, I guess I can't really contribute anything because the only thing that would satisfy God's righteous wrath against my sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's why Jesus had to come. But for you to look at me and tell me that the only way to heaven is by trusting in Christ and him crucified, if you're telling me that's the only path to heaven, that is highly offensive to the rest of the world. And that's why the cross is offensive. That's why over 2,000 years, people have been persecuted. Some have been put to death. Why? Because the cross is the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. This morning, we're reminded that God's heart for the lost is that the lost would be found. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that in order to get into heaven, to be forgiven, and to have everlasting life, you can only exclusively go through Jesus. Place your faith and your trust in him. But here's the good news. This message is for anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter what age or stage you may be at, man or woman, what culture you come from. If you go through Jesus, you can have forgiveness of sins. You can go to heaven and you can have everlasting life because this is God's heart for the lost. You know, when it came to the Pharisees, they struggled with this. And, and as they criticized Jesus for sitting down with sinners and with tax collectors, one of the parables Jesus had told in response to that was the parable of the lost coin, that God values lost things, and he values and celebrates when the lost are found. But he didn't just tell the, the parable of the, the lost coin, he also told the parable of the prodigal son as you and I know it. Let me read to you the beginning of the prodigal son that led him to share the, the parable. It says this in Luke chapter 11. You can turn there if you want, verses 1 to 2. It says, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so God is going, Jesus is going to move forward, tell the parable of the lost coin, and then tell the parable as we know it of the prodigal son. But you know what you don't always realize when you hear the story of the prodigal son? It's about God's heart for the lost and how God celebrates and rejoices when the lost are found. But what you may not realize as you read the prodigal son story is, you, is that there's not just one prodigal, there's two. And when you hear the story of the prodigal son who, who takes his inheritance and squanders it and he finds himself in the pit and he's with the pigs and he thinks to himself, you know, I, I, my father possibly will bring me back into his house. Maybe I can be a slave and a servant in his house and maybe he'll take me in. And, and listen, this son doesn't really understand the heart of his father. Because when he comes to his father, his father doesn't wait for him to run to him. His father runs to him, embraces him. And this is the extent of the love the father has for the lost son, the prodigal son. The first one is that he throws a huge banquet. He says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party because this is the heart of God. And that prodigal son learned what the father's heart is all about. He rejoices when the lost are Found. But there's another prodigal, and I want to read to you that in chapter 11, verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and this other older son does not understand the heart of God for the lost. 
Because he does not share the heart of his father when the lost are found. It says, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. It's a reason to celebrate. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. In other words, why are you celebrating the prodigal who left the house, squandered his living, and then you celebrate him, and you give him the signet ring, and you celebrate with the fatted calf? Verse 30, but as soon as your son, this son of yours come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. What about me? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. You miss the blessing, but you also miss the heart of God. It says in verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I'm here to tell you this morning that the cross is offensive to those who hear that the cross is the only path to heaven and everlasting life. But the good news about the cross is anyone can enter through Jesus, through faith in him as their Savior and their Lord. And if you want to understand the heart of God for the lost, if you're here today and you've never trusted and placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to, you to hear what the heart of the Father is that you would come and be found in him in Christ alone, that you would confess your sin, repent of it, and trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And if you've been walking with the Lord for years when the lost are found, we have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to celebrate. We have a reason to kill the fatted calf. Do you have the heart of the Father that the lost would be found? And so the cross is offensive and these False teachers who are leading the people astray, put their, their um, boasting in the flesh, were those who sought to avoid persecution. And then fourthly this morning, they are described um, in verse 13. It says, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. How are they described? They are described as those who are hypocrites. They say, hey, here's a list of rules, do's and don'ts that you need to obey. You need to be circumcised. You need to be to walk in obedience to the whole of the Mosaic law, which no one can do in their sinful state. And then you have to observe these diets and days. And what Paul says is they command you to obey the whole of the Mosaic law when they themselves don't. They're hypocrites. But secondly, they're prideful. And what they do, their motivation in all of this is to brag about how many followers they have who are following the message. And they're saying, hey, Paul has led all these people astray. Look at all the people that we are leading on the right path. And they brag about it. And so Paul, in verses 11 to 13, describes for us the example that we are to avoid. And the manner in which you avoid that example, the benefit of boasting in the cross of Christ alone is that you avoid the example of those who boast in their flesh, who boast in their own efforts and their own ability to get into 
heaven. This morning, if I could give you just a few takeaways, it would be this. As you boast in the cross of Christ, avoid the example of those who would boast in their flesh. A few ways to do that. The first is this. Do not ever think that you are beyond the deception of the Galatians. Do not ever be so prideful as to think that you are beyond the deception of the Galatians. If you do not stay grounded and rooted in the truth of God's word, if you do not and I do not stay grounded and rooted in the truth of the gospel, we can easily be deceived by those who say, I'm a Christian and I believe faith in Jesus is important. But then they lead you astray and say it's not enough. How easy we can be deceived if we are not grounded in the truth of the gospel and surrounded by godly believers who can hold us accountable and who can encourage us in our faith and who can say, what did this person say to you? They seem to be someone I might have questions about when it comes to the true gospel of grace. Secondly, abandon following the example of those who boast in the flesh as a means of salvation. Anyone who boasts in the flesh refers to anyone who boasts in anything other than the cross of Christ as a means of salvation. If you have anybody boasting in anything other than the cross of Christ as a means of salvation, abandon them as someone that you are influenced by in your life. And then thirdly, abandon boasting in human effort and work. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands me and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. My prayer is that you would be convinced this morning that you and I have nothing to boast in except for the cross of Christ that we have no reason to boast in our flesh or in our work or abilities as a means of salvation, but we would abandon that and boast in the cross of Christ alone. So first, the benefit of boasting in the cross is that we avoid the wrong example. Boasting in the cross, secondly, we follow the right example, and Paul sets that example for us in verses 14 to 15. Consider what Paul has to say beginning in verse 14. He says this, but God forbid, as opposed to those who boast in the flesh, who desire to make a showing in the flesh, I desire to make a showing in the cross. If there's ever a boast on my lips, it's not about what I do, it's about what Christ has done. It's a reminder that my boasting is not in what man has accomplished, it is in what God has accomplished. Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. It's interesting to think about because when you think about the cross, the cross was a means of execution in the first century. Isn't it interesting for somebody to say, I boast in the cross. It's similar to someone today saying, I boast in lethal injection or I boast in the electric chair. But the reason we boast in a means of execution is because it's also the means of our salvation. And the reason Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, and died a sinner's death as our substitute to take our place was in order that he might provide a path for us to be forgiven and for us to experience everlasting life. And Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Jesus 
Christ. When you and I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, what are we boasting in? I'd like to give us a few things to consider. There's a lot of things we can boast in when it comes to the cross. The first thing is when we look to the cross, we're reminded God chose us before we were even able to choose him. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, toward you and me, in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to boast in that. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. I'm going to boast in that. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him the last day. I'm going to boast in that. The Father is the one who drew me to the knowledge of his Son, and because of him I have faith in Jesus, and I've been forgiven, and I have everlasting life. I have a reason to boast in the cross alone. Romans 8.30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ because he chose me before I was even able to choose him. Secondly, as we look to the cross, we can boast in it because we can boast that God sent his son to redeem us. Do you and I boast about this as much as we should? The exciting good news? Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. They had been waiting for millennium. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm going to boast in the fact that God sent his son to redeem me and to redeem you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm going to boast in Christ's sacrificial and substitutionary atonement on the cross. So the cross reminds us he chose us before we chose him. God sent his son to redeem us. Thirdly, God has given you and I an eternal hope. And we should be bragging about heaven that we have to look forward to because of the cross of Christ. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. Boy, do you and I have a reason to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. We have no reason to boast except for the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, somebody might be saying, well, shouldn't I boast in what God is doing in and through me, producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and the ministry that God is doing through me? You can, but your focus of your boasting is through the cross, because through the cross, all good things have been given to you and me. Through the cross, we are baptized and we are declare before all others that through the cross, we have been united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We boast in the cross when we talk about how God is working in and through us to share our testimony of faith before those who don't know him in our family, among our friends, in our circles of influence. And it's all about the cross. The reason we're here this morning in the fellowship of the church is because of the cross. 
I don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be there. But because of God's amazing grace, we are here and we need to share this with everyone else on the outside to say, put your faith in Jesus, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and experience new life in his name. You and I have a reason to boast. Paul gives us a a couple benefits of boasting in the cross of Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, through the cross, through my boasting in the cross, I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. In other words, I've died to the world. You know, there's a song that captures this idea. You know, when you are so focused on the cross of Christ, when you boast in what Christ has done, that Jesus came from heaven to earth and was born of a virgin, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus died a sinner's death, that Jesus was buried and was in the grave three days, and the third day he was raised in newness of life, he ascended to the right hand of the Father after 40 days, and he's coming back again in glory. When you declare and focus on the cross of Christ and boast in what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ is yet to do. He's coming back again in glory. Your focus is not on the world. Your focus is on the cross of Christ. And there's a song we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face as you meditate on the cross of Christ, Christ and him crucified, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. In the light of his grace, the desires of my flesh are not so desirable. The things that I thought the world could satisfy in my heart, I realize they cannot satisfy because it's all about Christ and him crucified. He redeemed me by his precious blood on the cross. And if there's something I'm going to boast in, I'm going to boast in the cross, which, in which I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. And secondly, through the cross, I become a new creation in Christ. I've been changed. I've been transformed. I'm not the same person I once was. When Jesus came into my life, a new king sits on the throne. He reigns and rules, and I submit my life and my legacy to him in all things. If anyone is in Christ, we know he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This morning, I'd like to convince you that there is nothing to boast in except for the cross of Jesus Christ. As we follow Paul's example, if I could give us a few takeaways. The first is this boast in the cross of Christ as a reminder of your salvation is mine. We need to remind ourselves daily that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ is risen, that Christ was dead and buried. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again in glory. We need to preach that to ourselves every day. And we need to be reminded of how he redeemed us. Secondly, boast in the cross of Christ as an encouragement to fellow believers. I love to be around those who who say, I've got nothing to boast in except for the cross of Christ. And I can tell you, not just how he forgave me all those years ago, but how he works in my life every single day. And it's all because of the cross of Christ. I had some hardships and challenges this week, but you know what got me through? It's my personal relationship with Jesus that was all because of the cross of Christ and what he did through me and what he's continuing to do through me. And number three, boast in the cross of Christ as a means of seeing the lost come to faith in Jesus. 
Jesus. When you are so obsessed with the good news of the gospel and Christ and him crucified, you don't have to work so hard in order to share your faith. It's just natural. You're so impressed by Christ and him crucified. You don't have anything else to brag about. All you have is Christ and what he's done for you and what he's done for me. And our greatest concern is seeing the lost found in faith in Jesus, their Savior and Lord. I was watching a clip this week of a pastor who had uh, a, a bowl of fish, a fish bowl on his pulpit. I wouldn't do this, but <laughs> he had a fishbowl on his pulpit and he pulled out one of the fish and then he dropped it on the pulpit right there and the fish was just you know flopping around and I was really concerned for this fish and I was thinking put the fish back in the tank well he continued to leave the fish there and at a certain point he left it there so long he's trying to make a point and that fish stopped moving and I said you've made your point just plop the fish back into the tank well, finally, after the fish looked like he was dead and gone, he grabbed that fish, threw it back in the tank, and that fish started, you know, swimming around. It was alive, and it was okay. And he basically said, I saved the fish. I said, oh, you almost killed him, too. <laughs> well, then he made the point, and I can tell you, it hit me. He said, some of you who are watching this are more concerned about that fish flopping around and is about to lose its life than you are concerned about your lost neighbor then you are concerned about your lost family member or friend. Then you are concerned about those in your circles of influence. And I said, yes, I would have jumped through the screen in order to save that fish. Do I have the same urgency when it comes to my lost family members and friends? When you look at the price that Christ paid on the cross to redeem sinners, it motivates us to go out and say, I want to save as many people as possible through the preaching of the gospel as as the Holy Spirit draws their hearts to himself. And so let's boast in the cross of Christ. So first, the, the benefit of boasting in the cross is avoiding the wrong example, following the right example, the Apostle Paul. And then third benefit that convinces us that we have no reason to boast except for Christ and him crucified is because of the blessed assurance that we are given when we do boast in Christ and him crucified. Paul wraps up the letter and gives us these three assurances. The first assurance is that of peace and mercy. Paul wraps it up this way and it says, and as many as walk according to this rule. Paul is saying, as many as walk according to the truth of the gospel, that through the cross they've been crucified to the world and that they have become a new creation in Christ. Those who walk in accordance with the good news of the gospel, he says, peace and mercy be upon them. If you and I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, we are assured that we have peace with God. We are born into this world, not as those who are sons of God, spiritually speaking, but we go our own way. We walk according to our fleshly desires. But what Christ does is through his redemption, he adopts us. We've received the adoption as sons. Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. What an amazing thing. And we now have peace with God. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed, past, present, or future. If your faith is genuine in Jesus as your Savior, and Lord, you are assured you are forgiven. If you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, if 
the more we sin, the more grace we receive. Does that mean we can continue to sin so that my grace may abound? Paul says in Romans 6, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? If we've received the peace of God and seen what he's done in paying for our sins on the cross, why would we ever want to go return to that old lifestyle of sin and bondage we have been set free. And so we have peace of God and with God. And if you have peace with God, here's the good news. You can have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Anybody burdened? Anybody stressed out? Anybody worried, anxious, overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, the ups and downs of your emotions? I have good news this morning that if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, not only will he assure you of peace with God, but he will give you the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything and then experience the peace that he provides you and provides me. And so it's the assurance of his peace. It's the assurance of his mercy, of his forgiveness through the redemption of our sins on the cross, through his redemption of our sins on the cross. And so he assures us of peace and mercy. And then he says, upon Israel of God, um, it could refer to, are we talking about those who have believed in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles? Are we just talking about Jews who have trusted in Christ as their Savior and Lord? Well, whoever it is, it's talking about the redeemed of the Lord there. Then Paul continues, the second assurance that we are given is that his authority, Paul's authority is God-given and his testimony is true. Paul says this in verse 17, For from now on let no one trouble me. In other words, let no one question my authority. Paul spent two chapters, the first couple of chapters, defending his authority as an apostle. These false teachers were saying, no, he's not a true apostle. He's not a true witness of Christ. Paul says, stop bothering me. And Paul says, this is how you know my testimony is true. I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you want to know how you know whether or not I'm genuine or not, take a look at the marks on my body as I've been beaten, as I've been persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. That should be sufficient evidence. Amy Carmichael, who served as a missionary in India, once shared this, no wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he, be, can he have followed far who has no wound nor scar? When it comes to persecution for the believer, those who are not persecuted, that is not the norm in church history. The question is not whether or not you bear the marks of Christ being persecuted for your faith on your body. The question this morning is whether or not you so boast in the cross of Christ that you would be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus wherever he should tell you to go, even if that means bearing the marks of Christ on your body. You say, I don't know if I would be able to stand firm in the face of hardship. Don't worry. You got the Holy Spirit who resides in your heart who will enable and empower you and I as believers. We have no reason to fear. We have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. And if you read the end of the book, he wins. What an encouragement for us as believers. And Paul reminds us, hey, this is the assurance. This testimony of the gospel is true. God provided these apostles. 
Ephesians 4.11, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Aren't you grateful God called Paul, turned his life around from a persecutor to a passionate follower of Christ who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth, bearing the marks of Jesus on his body. Thanks be to God for passionate followers of Jesus like the Apostle Paul. And then third assurance we're given in verse 18. It says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul concludes the letter and assures us of God's amazing grace. If you will boast in the cross of Jesus Christ and in the cross alone and not in your flesh, not desiring to make a show of your flesh, but a showing of the cross of Christ, you and I have the assurance that we are recipients of God's unmerited favor, his amazing grace. And what makes his grace so amazing is I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me anyways. This morning, my goal was simple that I would convince you this morning in light of God's word that you and I have nothing, nothing to boast in except for the cross of Christ and Christ and him crucified. In order to boast in the cross of Christ, you first have to believe in Jesus as your savior and your Lord. If you're here today, And you would admit your need for Jesus. You would say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I know I'm not perfect and I've fallen short. Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And you would say, I believe. And Romans 6.23 says the penalty is death, spiritual death and eternity without God and his people forever and ever. If you will admit your need for Jesus, I'm here to share with you good news. If you will believe in Jesus who forgives your sins and you would repent of your sin, turning to Jesus and confess him as Savior and Lord, you can have eternal life and you'll have a reason to boast in the cross. If you're here today and you have a reason to boast in the cross and nothing else, I want you to consider what would happen if we actually did boast in the cross of Christ. What would happen in our lives? What would happen in our family? What would happen in our marriage? How would that transform our marriage if we boasted in Christ and him crucified as often as we should? What would happen if we boasted about the cross of Christ in our workplace, in our circles of influence, with our family members and friends? Let me tell you, if we boasted about the cross of Christ as we should, and we wouldn't boast in nothing except the cross of Christ, I will tell you, we can turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. We can make disciples by going to the ends of the earth in Springfield, Lane County, and beyond. We can go and baptize individuals who come to faith in Jesus and teach them all things that Christ has taught us. From being reminded he is with us to the end of the age. Can we pray for that this morning? Father, we declare as believers we have nothing to boast in except for the cross of Jesus Christ. May that be our boast. May we exult in the cross of Christ. May we boast in the cross of Christ. May we enjoy the benefits that come as recipients of God's amazing grace because of the cross of Christ. Father, If there's someone here today who would say, yes, I want to boast in the cross of Christ, but I haven't yet made Christ Lord of my life, I pray that they can express this in their hearts or aloud. Father, I know I need Jesus. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. But I believe that's why Jesus came. He came 
to forgive sinners like me. He came to become my substitute, to take my place. Today I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, for those of us who know Jesus and can boast in the cross, may you use that boasting to encourage our fellow believers, to encourage our faith individually, and to share our faith to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that we would be a church known for boasting in Christ and him crucified. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.